throwing. So if I had to title a message for you today, it would be eyes fixed. Are your eyes fixed? Are your eyes fixed on things that matter? The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. That puzzles me. What was joyous about the cross? What was it that made Jesus have joy about enduring the cross? It goes on to say he didn't just endure the cross, but he endured the shame of the cross. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Something's telling me there was a joy there. Jesus was seeing something in between him and the cross. He was seeing you and he was seeing I. He seen something that brought joy to him. And every time I believe that his mind was even tested to say, ah, do I want to go through with this? He's seen the joy of your life. He's seen the joy of your neighbor's life. He's seen the joy of your family's life. He's seen the joy that I got to go through with this because I see in between me and the cross is something that matters. And I truly believe in the Christian life today and and in the way we live life that we fail to see things the right way. That because our eyes are not fixed on Jesus 100%, the author and finisher of our faith, not only do we question our story that's being written by him, but maybe we don't see things the way we once seen it. I find it interesting that I can see people different whenever I see Jesus in between me and people. I find it interesting that when Jesus is not standing between me and that person, that the cornal and the flesh of the mind and the eyes will see that person different. It may be a little more judgmental than it is when I'm looking through Christ. He's looking at the cross and he's seeing you. He's seeing your family. He said, there's joy in the midst of that. But do we look at people and say, Jesus is standing between me and that person. And I have to see that Jesus already knows their problems. He already knows the things they're facing. He already knows their struggles. He died because they were joy to him. How do I feel about that person when I'm looking through the lens of Jesus? Fixing our eyes upon Jesus who endured a cross and endured shame for us. Now, that's not my main topic this morning, but it's going to tie right in in just a moment. Matthew chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew 14. You're going to know the story when we start reading it. You'll know it. Matthew 14, verse 22. I'm going to read you about 10 verses, 11 verses. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. But the boat was already far from land, buffeted by the waves and because of the wind that was beating against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost. (laughs) I would have probably thought the same thing. They said and cried out in fear, but Jesus spoke up at once and said, take courage. That's hard for me to believe. Like, I've never seen nobody walk on water. Maybe you have. I haven't. So if I'm in a boat and we're in the midst of a storm and I see somebody come and walk, the last thing I want to hear is take courage. Take shelter. Take hiding. (laughs) Who walks on water? But here he is. He says, take courage. Take courage. Do not be afraid. Here he says, it is I. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, always got to be that one. Lord, if it's you. Command me to come out to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. 
and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. How many remember that moment in your life? <clears throat> I'm going to tell you, that's, that's the kind of moment I had more than once. Lord, save me. Like, Lord, I feel like I'm dying. I, I feel like it ain't going to go nowhere. I can't get nowhere in life. Just save me from the things that are, are so fearful and bothering me. Lord, save me. He says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took a hold of Peter. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they had climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. And the last verse says, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. I want to look at something really quick. <clears throat> the beginning of that text says immediately, immediately after this. When that says that, we need to know what he's talking about. Immediately after what? Because if he says immediately after this, he wants you to know that what he's talking about is important to what's fixing to happen. He says immediately after this, what had happened? Jesus had just fed 5,000 men. He had just performed a miraculous moment. He had just seen the amazement of what happened on the shore. I brought this this morning because this is about probably how it looked. Jesus fed 5,000 men with about a Lunchable. No joke. Take something about this size and feed 5,000 people with it. I would say that's a miracle. I would say there's some mystery behind that. I would say that's a miraculous moment because here's the thing. In our life, we look at tests and we look at trials as being so big. And God's looking at them and saying, listen to me. Every test that you have, every trial that you face, it's a lunchable test for me. You, you think you can't get out of it. You think it's never going to pass. You think it's never going to go by. But it's a lunchable moment for me. When I send my kids to school, <clears throat> they spread out in here. When I send them to school, the older ones don't get lunchables. They, they're bigger. It's a bigger problem. I got to feed them more. But my little babies get lunchables. And we look at life that way, church. God, this is, this is a, you need to get a whole lot involved to fix this. And God said, let me just give you a Lunchable. <laughs> it fix your problem. Let, let me just take a 5,000 person starving, a 5,000 person in need, and give you a Lunchable moment and show you that nothing is impossible with God. Let, let, let me just show you how all this works. So that's what they're talking about. He's setting up the scene for what happened because Peter is doubting, Peter is fearing, but Peter just seen him feed all these people was something that was seemed to be impossible. So he puts that in there for us. He said, it's important that we understand that because it's important that we see Jesus in the midst because life can be this drastic at times. If you live in Mississippi, you might wear shorts and flip-flops today. Tomorrow, you'll freeze to death and have to put on insulated coveralls. Life can be drastic. Today, you might be cooking ribeyes and shrimp. Tomorrow, you might be in the welfare line. Today, you might be driving a Mercedes. Tomorrow, you might be driving a minivan. Today, you might be living in the, the dream home of your life. Tomorrow, you may be homeless. We always tell people, never underestimate life and how drastic it can get. You're only one paycheck away from being in the same situation as somebody else. But you have to see that and see this is why we don't look down on people because Matthew 14 is setting this up. He's showing us this is the same problem that was going on with Peter and them. We go from feeding the 5,000 with a Lunchable to the winds and the waves in the same day. We go from a miraculous provision to their storms on the sea. We go from God will multiply to bro, we may die. God will multiply, but we might just die. 
it gets even worse. We go from Jesus can do anything to maybe that's a ghost. We go to with God, anything is possible. To Lord, is that you? Lord, is that you? In the blink of an eye, life can be drastic. But our life is the same way. Listen to me. We wake up in the morning and we sing Jireh. Oh, God's my provider. We sing all these worship songs. Man, we get all pumped up for the day. Some of us may even put a little bit of water in our bathtub and walk on it and say we're walking on water. As long as the bottom of your feet's above it, you're walking on water. As long as it ain't filling them, you're good. We, we have that type of faith when we wake up in the morning. And, and we pump and energize ourselves, but it's amazing how quick that they can shift. It's amazing that how everything was good and we had this great day going, and then all of a sudden one thing happens and it's like, wow, does God even exist? Lord, is that even you? Is it a ghost? Who are you? This is the Peter moment we're seeing. The moments that we go from great fear about dying to they entered back in the boat and they worshiped. I want to tell you something this morning. If you've ever felt that way in your life, if you've ever felt like, Pastor, I feel like I just had some up and down moments. Like, I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why I'm way up here one minute and I'm way down here the next. I don't know why. Can I tell you something? You're not alone. Come on, you're not alone. There's people in this room this morning that's with you. There's people in this room this morning that are facing the same thing. Not even in this room are you alone. You know how I know that? When I first started serving God, I used to look around the church and I'd be like, man, them folks spiritual. (laughs) Them folks so spiritual. I want to be like them. You don't even realize the same folks looking at you in worship like, man, I wish I worshiped like them. You don't realize the same problems exist in the same room. The, the same problems weigh themselves out and balance themselves out in the same room. The next minute is that many are dealing with all of these things, church. And that's what's happening in Matthew 14. They're dealing with some things. But I have to, I have to break some bad news. Every time we see people face this today, somebody's like, oh, they just lack faith, Pastor. They just lack faith. I hear that so much today. They just lack faith. Church, it's not about faith. Listen to me. Faith did not put Peter in the storm. Jesus did. Faith did not have anything to do with him getting out in the middle of that storm. The Bible says that Jesus sent them to the other side. He already knew the storm was coming. He already knew what they were going to face. Their faith had nothing to do with it. It had everything to do with the fact that Jesus was putting them in the midst of the storm. Let me help you this morning. Some of us in our life are trying to pray ourselves out of a storm. God, get me out of this situation. Get me out of this storm. But I'm trying to tell you something. You can't pray your way out of something Jesus sent you into. Uh Uh-oh. You can't pray your way out of something that's ordained for the betterment of your life. Joseph... They sold me into slavery, but God sent me. Oh, that don't make sense. My brother sold me into slavery. Can I get out of the storm? But wait, God sent me there. Judas sold Jesus for shekels, but God sent Jesus here. You can't pray your way out of a storm that's ordained for your life. It has nothing to do with faith. It has everything to do with understanding the assignment. It's not our faith that gets us in the storm. It's our faith that sustains us and protects us and provides for us in the storm. Our faith does not have anything to do with that. Why was this happening, church? The enemy knew that they were trying to get to the other side. What does that mean? 
Jesus said, you go to the other side. I'm going to send everybody home. Well, he knew it was going to happen. So here they are trying to get to us. Why is he trying to stop them from getting to the other side? Why does he want their faith to keep them from going? Because on the other side was ministry. On the other side of the shore was healings, was deliverance, was salvation. It was, it was restoration. It was redemption. All these things was going to take place on the other shore, and the enemy did not want them making it across that lake. He knew if they made it across that God was going to do some amazing things. He knew that their eyes would see things they had not seen, and that's why he wanted them discouraged. But you have to remember in the midst of a storm, it's not time to get discouraged. You should be encouraged. That maybe that storm for my life is Jesus putting me in the middle of it, ordaining it for something for me. You're going to see there was something that Peter needed to learn. But in, in, in the time we live in today, we get mad. We get bitter. We get angry. We want to cut out on God because we're in a storm and nothing's happening. Nobody's making a way for me. Nobody cares about me. And he's looking at it like, what? What's the big deal? That's where I sent you. What's the big deal? So let me give you three points, and I'm going to let you out of here. Number one, courage is available. Courage is available. Jesus says, take courage. Let me tell you, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage literally means the ability to do something that frightens you. Take courage. Be able to sustain and do something that absolutely frightens you. Courage is a decision. It's not an emotion. Courage is an attitude, it's not a feeling. Courage should be led and feelings should not. <laughs> courage should lead my life and feelings should not. Why? Because we taught it Wednesday night. If I allow my feelings to lead my life, my feelings will destroy my life. Body, soul, spirit. If my soul, my feelings, my emotions, my anxiety, my depression, I'm a triune being, I'm the only one created that way. If I let my emotions and feelings lead my life, the spirit man's not in control, I will destroy it. But I have to make sure that what's going on is being led of God. So courage is not maybe what we think. Courage lives from faith. Let me tell you what else courage is. Courage is inward, not outward. Courage is what's on the inside. Courage is not what's on the outside. Courage is, is what God is doing in me and not around me. That's why God, Jesus is looking at them and trying to paint this picture that the seas and the waves are not your concern. Your concern is what's causing you to doubt on the inside, inside that boat. You're inside of a storm that I put you in and you're wanting out of it. You're doubting, you're fearing, but really what matters is what's inside of you, not what you're facing. Courage is what God's doing in me and not around me. Which means this, that our attitude in the storm and our attitude in the boat is more important than the winds and the waves. How I see the storm, how I respond to the storm is more important than the winds and the waves. But we spend time in our life saying, God, quiet my storm. Quiet my storm. Quiet it. But the prayer should be, God, quiet my soul. Mm. Well, why my soul, Pastor? Because the soul is your feelings and emotions. God, don't quiet my storm, quiet my soul, and raise up my spirit man. Let what's inside of me take courage and override the fears that are going on inside my life. You can't make the winds and waves quiet without letting what's inside be quiet. God moves when there's faith. God moves whenever we have the courage to believe and trust. Let me help you. We want courage, and we want change in our circumstances. 
But God is wanting change in our hearts. God changed my circumstances. Well, that's simple. He can do that. We all know that. He's a miraculous God. But what happens when you say God changed my heart? God says, I'm not so much here for your circumstances as I am your heart. Because a change of heart will make you look at your circumstances look different. Take courage. We say things like, God, make it stop. And God says, I'm trying to start something inside of you. God, make it stop. Make this stop. Make this battle stop. Make what I'm going through stop. But God says, I'm trying to start something inside of you that's going to change your life. I'm trying to start something inside of you. Take courage. And those are red letters. So if Jesus says take courage, that means courage is available for your life this morning. It's not something you have to work yourself into. It's available because he made it available in that moment. He said, just take it. Take courage. Let's go a little further because y'all quiet this morning. 90% of problems in the world today are prayed about by 90% of people who say God fixed the problem. Let me give you a better statistic. If 90% of people who seen 90% of problems prayed God changed me, we wouldn't have 90% of problems to fix. Let me help you. Let me say it again. 90% of problems in this world are prayed for by 90% of people who say God fixed the problem. But if 90% of people said God fixed me, we wouldn't have 90% of problems to fix. If, the, if, if everything inside my life was about God fix me and not fix them, God fix me and don't fix that, we wouldn't have the problems we have because it's a whole lot harder to see things in somebody else's life whenever I'm asking God to show me things in my own life. 90% of problems would be fixed if 90% of people would pray God fix me. That's why in Joshua 1, uh, the Lord speaks to him and he says, Joshua, your, your leader has died. Your, your mentors died. But listen to what he says. Be strong and of good courage. <laughs> what? Like I got a mentor, I've got a leader. Moses has been leading me and he's dying, he's dead. And you say, take courage, just be of good cheer. It's going to be all right. That's how we read the Bible. Sometimes we read the Bible and we say, Pastor, I'm reading this stuff, man, but I can't do this. And then, and then you know what happens? People are super spiritualized and they'll say, man, you, you can't do it because you don't want to do it. You can't do it because you ain't ready to do it. No, 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 no. The best word you ever said was, I can't do it. The best word you ever said was, Pastor, I cannot do it. Because when I do that, I, I put a rest to myself. I put an end to myself. I say, Pastor, I'm reading these words, and I know I can't line up to this. I know I can't do this. I know my lifestyle won't lead to this. But I'm going to put an end to myself, and I'm going to believe that God's already done it. I'm going to believe that God's already provided the way. And because he has, and because he's faithful, he's going to do it for me. He's going to lead me into it. And the word is not as hard to do when I realize that God has to be the one to do it. We don't want to say things like I can't because it makes us weak. He said, but in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. I don't want to say I'm weak, Pastor. I can't be no weak man. You better be a weak man when it comes to God because the only time that his strength is made perfect is in your weakness. Now, don't mistake meekness for weakness. That's a whole other message. But it's all right to say I can't do it. It puts an end to our own strength. And it says, God, I realize I can't, but you can his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I want you to know something. The Bible is not a good book for good people. Hello? The Bible is not a good book for good people. The Bible is a book of possibilities. 
The Bible is a book of promises. But what happens is, is because we respond certain ways to the Bible, we allow the emotions of our life to steal the moment of our study. We allow the emotions of the things we're facing to steal the moment of our study because courage does not ask you to ignore emotion. He said, take courage. Courage doesn't ask you to become a fake robot. Listen to me. He offers a life of faith beyond the emotion of the moment. Let me, how many in here are tired of being the victim of the moment? No, just nobody. Raise your hand if you're tired of being the victim of the moment. If you didn't raise your hand, the person next to you is probably tired of you being a victim of the moment. Because they don't know how you're going to respond to anything. If you're having a good day, you're a good person to be around. If you're having a bad day, you're going to be the devil. If you, if, if you don't like what they do, you're going to respond this way. If you like what they do, they're going to respond. It's a victim of the moment. And if you can't get tired of living that way, the people around you are very tired of living that way. It's letting these things take the moment because of the emotion in our life. Emotions steal the moment. Peace is not absence of the storm. It's not. I don't gain peace in my life because the storm goes away. I gain peace in my life because the Prince of Peace stands in the midst of the storm. If I just say, God, okay, what if, what if we said it that way? God, I, I want you to take the storm of my life away, and he takes the storm away. Now what you got? Nothing. Just waiting for the next one. But what if I say, God, I don't, I'm not so concerned about the storm. I just want the Prince of Peace in the midst of it. Now what happens when he steps in the boat? Now what happens when he steps into your life? Now I'm in the middle of a storm, but I'm at peace with my, with my situation because of who's in the middle of it. I don't really want out. I want somebody else to get in. That's why we, we, we cling to people in life. I don't really want out. I need somebody in with me. That's why you can't do life alone. You need a journey partner. You need somebody with you because here's the second point. Faith is unusual. Faith is unusual. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come walking on water. Let me ask you something, church. When's the last time you walked on water? <laughs> Mine was about six years ago. We was at VBS, and um, we made this stuff. You can go on DIY. On, on those sites where all the women get these projects for you, you can go in there and you can make like this putty. And what you do is, if you're an adult, you got to move quick because you'll sink. But what happens is they, they make it in a little tub and then, and then the uh, VBS teacher says, all right, step across it quickly. And for that moment, you walk on water. That's how it works. I've seen it. I've done it. I walked on water six years ago. But when's the last time you truly walked on water? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you heard God? One step further. When's the last time you obeyed God? Let's go one more step. When's the last time you got uncomfortable for God? Peter, God, if it's, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. And no one in the back of his mind, he's probably thinking, I hope that ghost don't respond. I, I got people sitting behind me that's going to think I'm crazy for even talking to whoever it is on the water. But if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. How many, when's the last time you got uncomfortable for God? Because his next words were, come. And in that moment, Peter knew, I'm fixing to do something crazy. I'm fixing to have to hear what I just heard, obey to what I just heard, and I'm going to have to get real uncomfortable and step out this boat. And I ain't never seen nobody walk on water. But we're going to try it. It's not about the fear and the doubt. It's about can you obey? God, I believe you, but can you obey? Listen to me. 
Peter heard, he believed, and he trusted. Your faith is not in the boat. Nobody wants to hear that. Your faith's not in the boat. Your faith is on the water. Your faith is in the winds. Your faith, I don't mean you believe in the winds. Don't twist that and get all theological crazy on me. My, I don't believe in it and have faith in the winds, but my faith rises up in the winds. My faith rises up on the water. My faith rises up in the, the shores and the places in the seas. Let me go back a little ways. When we launched this church, life was pretty even kill. But you had to take some steps of faith. You had to take some leaps, matter of fact. You got to sacrifice some comfort zone because here's the thing. Whenever you launch something, whenever you do something in life, believe me not that there are people that are saying it ain't going to happen. It, it ain't going to happen. Why would they think to do that? So you're stepping out of your comfort zone. You got to sacrifice your boat. Why? Why, why? why does the boat matter to Peter? He's a fisherman. That's what he knows. You're stepping out on something you know, and people are looking at you like, man, all you know is that boat. I, I know that, but I've got to sacrifice some things. You got to walk on the water in the storm. But here's the, the interesting thing. Jesus not getting in your boat till you get out. Mm. Prove it. Okay. Let's go back to the time that he borrowed Peter's boat. Where was Peter? Washing nets. He wasn't in the boat. Jesus didn't get in the boat till you got out the boat. Peter, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. Okay. Get out the boat. I'll get back in with you. But I'm not getting in the boat until you get out of the boat. I'm not getting in your situation until you move out of the way. I'm not getting in the things of your life and your circumstances until you get out of the way and let me have control. He's not going to get in the boat, church, until you get out. But being, uh, I'm ready, pastor. Can I tell you something? Being ready is not faith. Being ready is maturity. Being ready is not faith. Being ready is maturity. Although there is not maturity where there is not faith, being ready is not it. Being ready is I'm mature enough for it, but do I really have the faith? Can I really step out? The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What is the substance? What are we hoping for? Let, let me give you just a teaching for a moment. Faith gives our hope flesh. Your faith gives your hope flesh. Your faith gives our hope feet. Our faith gives our hope movement. Our faith is the engine and oil to our hope. It's the substance of things hoped for. Hope believes where faith receives and conceives. Come on, it's going to get somewhere. Faith reaches into the unseen and brings it into the scene. Faith reaches into the supernatural and brings it into the natural. Faith goes beyond Hebrews 11, 11 and 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promises. Faith receives. She was able to receive. She was enabled. Now watch. She conceives. Faith receives and gives power to conceive. Am I too far gone for you this morning? Faith receives and gives power to conceive. Let me help you. Hope equals this. Lord, bid me to come. 
The hope of the moment was, Lord, bid me to come. The faith of the moment was when Peter received the word come, and then he conceives when he steps out on the water. I have hope because I, I say, Lord, bid me. I'm hoping that my faith is right. And then he says, come. So I receive a word. Peter didn't actually walk on water. He walked on the word. <laughs> and that's why we struggle today, because we see it as the physical. We see it as I need to walk on a physical water. No, no, you need to walk on the word. It was come that caused Peter to walk. He said, come. Peter stepped out. Peter walked on the word. You can walk on the word. You can take steps of faith in your life on the word. You can make a decision for your family on the word. You can make a decision in your finances on the word. You can make a decision in the future on your child on the word. But everybody wants a word. Here's the question. Had you obeyed the last word God gave you? In counseling, pastor, I need a word. But my question is, did you obey the last word that God gave you? Because I can't graduate to the next word until I obey the last word. But pastor, I didn't like that word, but God doesn't waste words. I, I didn't like what God told me to do, but God doesn't waste any moment to speak to you. So did you receive the last word? The storm, the word. Point number three, doubt is optional. This is the whole message right here. All of that just to tell you this, doubt is optional. Peter. Why do you have so little faith? I got to give credit where credit is due. At least he had some faith. He didn't have a lot of faith. He said, Peter, why do you have so little faith? That tells me something, that it wasn't so much the faith issue. But I can say this, more can be said about Peter stepping out than the ones that stayed in the boat. More can be said about Peter taking that step than the ones that stayed in the boat. I'd rather step out on the word, not any word, but the word. I'd rather step out on the word of God. I'd rather step out and know that God is real. But today we step out on any word. Well, pastor, somebody gave me a word. Let me tell you something about words that people give you. You need to know that person's life. You need to know the depths of that person's life. One time when Jennifer and I left the organization that we was with years ago, a lady wrote me a message. And a uh, well-known lady in the organization. You know, in the old, you know, when you get real religious, they call it reading your mail. You ever heard somebody say that? That person walked up to me and read my mail. It means they read your mind. And she writes this message to me, and she says, you know what, Pastor Derek, I got something to tell you. God, God, God showed me a warning. That if you left this organization within two years, you'd be divorced. If you leave the organization within two years, you'll be divorced. I send back a thumbs up. Does it mean that I didn't have problems and trials within those years? No, no, no. But every time I had a problem, I went to the word. Every time we had an issue, every time we had a struggle, every time we had a doubt, I went back to when God made a way. I went back to the time that God stepped in. I went back to the moment where God saved me. I went back to the things that God had done in my life, and I didn't look at no word that nobody had spoken to my life. I didn't look at no prophetic encounter. I went back to when God showed up and changed my life. I went back to the moment where I thought it was all impossible, and God changed it all. I went back to where I was stuck in miry clay, and God pulled me out. I went back to a counter with God that I knew was faithful but in the generation we live in everybody's running around for a word 
We've got more access to the word than any generation ever before. And we travel all over the world. I got to hear a word from this person. I got to hear a word, pastor. Let me tell you something. I would rather have a memory than a memo. I would rather have a memory than a memo. It's not that we need a word. We need a memory. I'm struggling, pastor. Just just speak a word into my life. I got a word for you. Remember the day that God saved you. I got the perfect word for your life. I'm not worried about your next car. I'm not worried about your next struggle. Remember the day that God saved you. Remember the day he forgave you of your sins. Remember the day he looked down and said, you don't really deserve this, but I love you so much that I gave my son for you. And right here, I'm going to change your life forever. Remember that when you want a word. When we forget things, things happen. I'd rather walk on the water and sink than stay in the boat and sit. I would rather walk on the water and sink than to sit in the comfort of the boat and judge the ones who are sinking. That's Christianity today. Instead of me getting out on the water with the ones who may be sinking, I would rather sit in the boat and judge the ones who are sinking. And pass judgment about their life and pass judgment about the things they're going through and use Since God has entrusted me with ministry capabilities and a calling, we use it today in this generation as a license to gossip about the things that people are going through and to use it as a seat of judgment when God says you ought to be on the water with them. Peter, don't stay in the boat. If you do, you'll live a life of I wonder what would have happened. I wonder what would happen. I wonder if... I wonder what would have been done. Peter, you remember me. I just fed the 5,000. Lord, is that you? Peter, I just fed the 5,000 with you. What do you mean if that's me? Doubt is optional. Peter lost his amazement for the feeding of the 5,000. And because he lost his amazement, He lost his faith in the present. Because he lost his amazement of the memory of what God had just done, he lost his faith in the present. I have to tell you that faith and all are always connected. Faith and all are always connected. What do you mean, Pastor? My faith is hidden in my praise. My faith is hidden in my praise. If I lose my praise for what he has done, I will lose my faith for what he can do. If I lose my faith in my life for what God has done, I will lose my faith for what he can do. Breakthrough in life is obvious. Where you get your word from is different. Peter's looking at the waves. He didn't need a word. He needed a memory. The one thing that held him back is he forgot what just took place on the shore. Some of us are going through life right now, and you're trying to figure out where you are. You're trying to figure out why you're facing the things you face. You're trying to figure out, Pastor, what is it? Listen to me. You need your memory back. You need to remember what God has done for you. How do I do that? I go back a year. I go back two years. And I say, in this moment, I struggled with this, and God showed up. In this moment, my child wasn't saved. Maybe they weren't in church, but God showed up. In this moment, my marriage was at the end, and I was ready to have a divorce, but God showed up. 
So instead of me running to the next person trying to get advice, not that advice is a bad thing, godly counsel, there's a lot of wisdom in it, but instead of me looking for a word, a prophetic word from somebody, why don't I remember a prolific encounter? Why don't I remember a prolific encounter? Why do I want a word from a man? I will accept a word from a prophet but refuse to follow the Prince of Peace. I will accept the word from a prophet in my life but refuse to go after the high priest. We have direct access. The veil's gone. Why won't I ask him for it? Why won't I go back to the memory stage and say, God, just remind me. I choose to remember when you sustained me. I choose to remember when you delivered me. Now, here's the thing. Doubt's optional. So you can come to Revive Church on Sunday and doubt, but you don't have to. I can walk in church on Sunday and choose to doubt, but I don't have to. I can remember what the Bible says. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go in the house. Lord. I refuse to go into God's house and doubt the things in my life. I refuse to go into God's house and doubt that he's making a way. I refuse to let the enemy tell me that something looks one way when I remember the way it looked last time and he showed up. I refuse to let the things play on my mind knowing that God is able. I go back to my encounter. Worship team, come on. The Bible says so many times. Remember the Lord. Church, if you ever worked out, you know there's a thing called muscle memory. Church people need muscle memory of faith. We've got to go back to where we were when we had an encounter. If I lose my all for God, I'll drown in what was supposed to be walked on. If I lose my worship, I'll drown in the authority that I had over it. If I lose my gratitude, I'll drown in my finances. If I lose my praise, I'll drown in my blessing. Psalm 103 and 2 says, let all that I, that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. You don't need a better job. Listen to me. You don't need a better job. You don't need a better church. You don't need a better kids leader. You don't need a better boss. You don't need a better pastor. You don't need a better husband. You need a memory. You need a memory of who God is. I can look back as a pastor to the day that I got saved. And I can remember going to work. I worked at Tronox. And I can remember singing, bagging that pigment at the top of my lungs and can't sing. I promise you I can't sing. And I would just sing and sing and sing. And people are like, man, what is your problem? I can't help it. I can't help it. If you only knew what God did. If you only knew where he brought me from. But as time goes on, we forget. And our eyes are no longer fixed on Jesus. They're fixed on other things. We no longer see people with Jesus in the midst. We see them with our own eyes of judgment. We become very critical of everything. And the whole problem with it, we've lost our memory. I've lost my faith. You've lost your memory. Prove it, Pastor. Worship is always appropriate. That's my last point. Worship is always appropriate. The Bible says that they, then they worshiped. As Jesus and Peter climbed back in the boat with the rest of the ones in it, the Bible says, then they worship. You're the son of God. But they worship when the storm had ended. 
They worship when they walk back into the boat, which tells me one thing. You can sink in life, but don't mean you won't walk again. Peter sunk before Jesus and got back in the boat. You can sink in life. You can have failed in life. You can have made all the wrong decisions today, but it don't mean you can't walk again. But they got back in the boat and they worshiped him. Worship is always appropriate, but it doesn't mean it's powerful. They worshiped when the storm was over. They worshiped when everything had passed by. They doubted when it was going on. Come on, stand to your feet in here. Worship's always appropriate. Just ask Miriam when she crossed the Red Sea and the Egyptians were swallowed up. Never to be seen again. Never would she have to face that, that enemy. Never would she have to go back into that. And worship was appropriate, Miriam. They're all swallowed up. It's all over. And she praised and she worshiped on the other side of the store. And James 5 says, if you're happy, sing songs of praise. But just because worship is appropriate does not mean it's powerful. Prove it, Pastor. Because if worship was always appropriate, then when we came in here to worship, it would apply to about 10 people. <laughs> well, my storm and my life's over, baby. I can worship today. It's appropriate. My kids are good now, Pastor. Good. Mine aren't. My marriage is restored, Pastor. It's better than it's ever been. Good. Mine's not. My finances are skyrocketing, Pastor. I can worship today. It's appropriate, but mine aren't. What makes it appropriate is that there's a time for it, either in or after, but what makes it powerful is when you can worship when the storm's already taking place. It applies to more people in the church. When I worship, when I'm struggling. When I worship, when I'm down. When I worship, when I'm homeless. When I worship, when I'm in the welfare line. When I worship, when I'm in divorce counseling. When I worship, when my kids are acting up. When I worship, when everything's going bad. Worship is appropriate, but worship is powerful whenever you worship in the middle of the storm. It's always appropriate. You can always worship, but it becomes powerful when somebody says, why are they worshiping like that? What makes them smile when they're struggling? Their life is falling apart. I see everything that's going on. How do they smile? How do they lift their hands? Because worship is powerful when you're in the storm. And Peter couldn't do it because he forgot what God done on the shore. I can't lift my hands in a storm, Pastor. It's because you forgot what he done at the beginning. When I lose my all, I lose my faith. That's why people walk out of here and people's going to do it here today. Some's going to walk out one way, some's going to walk out another. Some's going to walk out and say, man, that was my song. Man, I felt that. Man, that was so good. And some's going to walk out and say, ah, it wasn't to me. It never has to do with the stage. It always has to do with the heart. It never has to do with the teacher. It always has to do with the heart. I came with expectations. I receive. I come in doubt. I don't. So my question to you this morning is, where's your memory? 
and you honestly sit here and say, Pastor, I remember the day God saved me. And Pastor, I'm still walking in that same fire. I'm still walking in that same faith. I still have that same passion. Everywhere I look, I'm looking for somebody to tell about Jesus. I feel today how I felt back then. Can you say that today? If you can't, church, you need your memory back. Short testimony and the altars are open. Me and Pastor Corey was at my house the other day. And a guy text messaged him. And he told him he was struggling. And we looked across the living room at each other and he said, Pastor, it's still about it. That's still what it's about. Do you remember? Do you still have the fire? Do you still have the vision? Do you still have the passion? Like you did when God saved you. Father, we love you. These altars are open. God, we just thank you for an opportunity to, to learn today, God. Lord, we just need a memory. We just need to remember every time you showed up. It's hard to doubt when we see what you've done. We just got to remember, God. We've got to remember to see you in the midst. Remember to see the heart of people. Knowing that you already know their struggle. And all you've asked us to do is remember. Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room this morning that does not know you. This morning before we leave this building, the Bible tells us that we are faithful if we will repent of our sins, if we will tell you of our sins, if we will, if we will turn these things over to you, that you're a just, you're a faithful God. You'll forgive us of our sins. You'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, you'll take all them things we've done and you'll cast them away. God, you'll start a memory journey with us today. That from this day forward, Lord, we can always look back to this moment and remember this is where it all changed. Every time we struggle, every time we go through something in life, we can look back and say, but that day, but that day he showed up and he'll show up again. Lord, we give you the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship him.